Exodus 25, 1 through 9. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they may take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. Exodus 31, 1 through 11. Exodus 31, 1 through 11. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by my name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Oholiab, the son of Hithamach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is on it and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils and the pure lampstand with all its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin and its stand and the finely worked garments the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. This is the word of God for today. Amen. Church, let's stay standing for a second. Would you please sing with me the doxology before we get into this morning's sermon? Can be a cappella. So you guys gotta sing louder, right? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy. Father, we are gathered here this morning to worship you. We're gathered here this morning also to be obedient to your word. And we ask, God, that you would please minister to us through your, through your Holy Spirit. God, we desire to be more like Christ. God, and if our desire is not that, God, please conform our desire to be more like Christ. We ask, God, that as we study your word together, Lord, that not only will we be, God, convicted and encouraged, God, that you would be glorified. Thank you for your word. 
Thank you, God, that we can sing songs like this and reflect on the truth that every good thing comes from you. All blessings flow from you. So we love you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, you may be seated. Good morning. Always a pleasure worshiping our Lord and Savior with you on Sunday. Um, so this morning, we're going to be looking at Exodus 25, but we're also, if you've noticed, we're jumping over to Exodus 31. And uh, we learn of God's plan to build a dwelling place where he can reside with his people. This dwelling place is called the tabernacle. And there's a lot to be said about the tabernacle, like Let's see, the significance of his time in redemptive history, super important. The significance of its materials, as we read that list of contributions that were made for the tabernacle, um, we'll learn further about the garden imagery, i.e. the heavenly imagery, and um, all the symbolism, and not to mention how the tabernacle amazingly foreshadows the coming of Christ. There is just so much there for us to meditate on and to take in, all of which I will not be preaching on this morning. This morning, I'll be preaching on kind of a simplistic version of it because these wonderful themes, as far as the tabernacle, what it means, the imagery, they will reappear in a couple chapters. So in a couple weeks, we're going to be spending time actually digesting and contemplating the wonders of the tabernacle. We're looking at more of planning or production meeting of what the tabernacle is going to actually look like and how they're going to actually build it. So do not be dismayed. We will look into these sacred things in a few weeks. With that being said, again, this text becomes quite simple for us. Essentially, what we see here is a detailed architectural blueprint for the temporary home of God. Now, this blueprint consists of investors, funds, raw material, plans, and tradesmen, which really are some key components to any building development today, which, to say the least, fascinates me. But again, we're not going to focus on what's being built, although it is the most significant thing in this text. We're going to focus on how it is being built, because that's what God is telling us. He's telling us and giving instruction on how he wants Moses and the people to build his house. And by doing so, my hope is that we will develop a more robust biblical view on our God-given resources and our God-given abilities. So over the past couple of weeks, we spent the last three weeks studying Exodus chapter 20 all the way to Exodus chapter 23, verse 19, which concerns the law that was given by God to his people in order to set them apart from the world around them. God is making a peculiar people for himself. And giving his people a peculiar way to live is the way he's going to achieve that for the time being. He will soon give laws that demand discipline and obedience and purity. He will give laws that unfortunately will be broken, but then give laws that make provisions for those that break the law. And although we, Apostles Church, have been studying these things and looking into these things these last couple weeks, the Hebrew people had not yet seen these laws yet but they soon will. Before the giving of the law to the people, a few things take place. I love this. God reaffirms his love and commitment to his people in Exodus 24. Note to self, if I'm ever going to lay 
some heavy regulations and laws on my family or on an organization, I'm going to take a page out of God's book here and reaffirm my love and commitment to them before I do so. God is wise. After God reaffirms his love and commitment, he calls Moses up the mountain and begins to share the plan to dwell among his people in a way that has never been done before, by way of tent residency, meaning God will now camp in their midst. I mean, how secure would you sleep if you knew that God's physical house was at the end of the cul-de-sac? Pretty darn good. And so Israel is pumped on this. They're excited about this, that God would actually condescend to dwell in their midst. God is now giving specific instruction on how this all is going to come about, which brings us to our chapter, Exodus 25, where God tells Moses to take an offering in order to accumulate that which is needed to build his house. We read about this in Exodus 25. Vanessa did a great job reading the text. I'm going to kind of read a paraphrased version of it again just to wrap our minds around it even more. Exodus 25, verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel, that they take from me a contribution. Remember, from, excuse me, from every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. Verses 8 and 9. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. So the two areas that I want to focus in on this morning is what the people give, what they gave as a contribution, and why they gave it. What they gave and why they gave it. In Exodus 25, we read that the Hebrew nation will be called to offer up this, these precious resources to God. And we get this huge laundry list. It's hard to look past the value and the quality of these contributions. Things like gold, silver, bronze, precious linens and fabrics, oils, spices, fragrant incenses, onyx stones, and stones for setting. And then, weaved inside of this list is things like goat skin, tanned ram skins, not to be confused with pale ram skins, goat's hair, and acacia wood. That was a joke. I, I mean, come on. Jeez. <laughs> Anyway, the contributions on this list appear to fall into two categories. Number one, precious and rare material. And number two, ordinary and common material. Now, I can't help when I look at things like this in my mind's eye to kind of view what, was, what will take place when the people hear about this. And I couldn't help but notice like a line of Israelites and one guy at the head of the line, and they're sorting all these contributions. He's got a handful of gold and a handful of goat's hair, and he's like, okay, I'll give the goat's hair this time. But as silly as that is, I mean, you kind of think the goat's hair people got off easy. Not necessarily the case. We don't know if the ones who contributed goat's hair had gold or vice versa. Here's what we know for sure. These free will offerings were to simply gather the raw material needed for the construction of God's house. So the goat's hair and the wood are equally as important as the gold and the silver because both are equally needed to build the house of God per God's specifications. And that is important for us to know. It's also a sweet reminder that God is more concerned about the heart behind the contribution and less about the contribution 
itself. But in our story this morning, God is very particular about how his house will be built, and it's for good reason. Now, it may be easier for us to understand where this nomadic tribe of people found their goats, hair, and their wood. But the question is, where do they get all this precious gold? Where are they getting this silver, this fine linens, these oils, and these incense as they're traveling across the desert, wandering through the desert? The Bible gives us hints to this back in Exodus 3 when God told Moses that when the people are on their way out of Egypt, they will plunder the Egyptians. We read in Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 21, And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. And sure enough, we read in Exodus chapter 12, when the Israelite people are leaving, they do just that. They acquire this great accumulation of wealth and they head out into the desert. And now in Exodus 25, we are getting insights into the reason for this plundering. It is also here that we can be reminded of the truth that what we have, this is important, what we have, our resources, our possessions, and our wealth are not our own, but belong to God. I want that to sit in for a little bit. What we have, the things that we've been given by God, are not our own. They belong to God. Now, it is abundantly clear in Scripture that everything belongs to God. All creation, Psalm 89.11 tells us, the heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. We read again in Psalm chapter 50, verse 10, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all the moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. And on the topic of wealth, we read in Haggai 2, 8 through 9, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. All this to say, everything belongs to God. And because everything belongs to God, all that we have is not our own, but his. King David picked up on this and corporately prayed in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own have we given you. In other words, David is saying, who am I that you even give me a choice to freely give to you when all that I have, all that I possess is already yours? God can take from one and give to another because it is his to give and to take away. Everything belongs to him. Do we believe this? Church, do we believe this fundamental truth? I think a lot of Christians would say this is pretty basic. Yes, we believe that all things come from God and that all things belong to God. And I'd agree. It is fundamental. It is basic But here can be the problem. More times than not, our problem isn't that we don't know these things. Our problem is that we don't live like they're true. Do we live like this is true? That what we have in possession, our houses, our cars, our accumulated wealth, our finances, 
Do we recognize that as God's? Do we steward it as, as if it was God's? Everyone in this room can and will plead guilty of this from time to time to make these mistakes, to look at things as ours. You know, I worked for it. I worked plenty of hours for this. I deserve this. Even as Christians, we make those, we had those thoughts. We go through those ebbs and flows of seasons of thinking what I have is mine. But I'm so thankful that God's word, although basic in this particular theme, is so clear. It's not yours. It's mine and I've given it to you to steward. Now again, we could maybe think we don't have a problem with this, but the reality of it is, is we kind of do. And here's some examples. So I've, I've got two kids. I love my kids so much. And I understand that those kids have been given to me by God. I completely understand that. I also understand that my kids are God's. That my, that my Lord will take care of my children. They belong to him. But there are plenty of seasons when I say, don't you dare take my kids from me. Is that a bad thing? I don't think so. I think it's just a fatherly instinct. But if we can get wrapped up in that idea or that thought and think that our kids are our own and not trust God with them, we can fall prey to this. How about something like a house? Oh, thank you, God, for the house that you've graciously given me. But, oh, Lord, I'm not letting that person come over or stay with me because they're going to wreck my possession. Sounds silly. Sounds like I'm exaggerating. But honestly, am I really? Do we have these thoughts and problems? How about, oh, Lord, thank you for the finances and the, I guess, the financial success that you've gifted me. And then we go through the ideas of, well, let me just pay my bills. Let me just hit up my Amazon wish list, see if I want to pick up anything on that. Let me go ahead and cover my needs and some wants. And then whatever I have left over, don't worry, Lord, I'm going to give it to you. You're going to get yours. Do we understand that everything we have is God's? It's a simple point, but a very important point for us to think through and meditate on. Church, by the power of the Holy Spirit, let us live in such a way that demonstrates to one another as well as the world that all we have been given our resources, our possessions, our riches, our families even, is not our own, but belong to God. Now in Exodus 31, we read the Hebrew nation will be called to offer up their skills and their expertise. Exodus 31, verses 1 through 6. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic design, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Eshmach, the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they make all that I have commanded you. Jumping down to verse 11, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. Now, we read that God calls a man by the name of Bezalel and uniquely fills him with the Holy Spirit, giving him ability, intelligence, knowledge, and all craftsmanship to carry out this great calling of supervising the building of the tabernacle. Then God appoints a man named Oholiab to come alongside Bezalel 
to assist him in this gnarly task. But then God opens it up even further than that, declaring that he has given all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded. Now, essentially, God is calling the Hebrew people to now offer up their abilities to build this dwelling. And just like the first offering, the offering of resources that were provided by God through the plundering of the Egyptians, we read that the abilities required for this task are also graciously provided by God. Now, what I love about this particular section of Scripture is that it is so clearly articulating the great truth that when God calls us, he most certainly equips us. God's calling comes with an equipping. Now, this truth directly applies to the church and how God has equipped all believers with spiritual gifts to be used for edification of the saints and gospel witness to the glory of God. The Apostle Paul makes this very clear in 1 Corinthians 12 as well as Romans 12, where Paul likens the church to a body to which all believers are members of the same body but have different functions, different gifts, all of which are given by God and are, be used and are to be used for his glory. But this truth does not just apply to spiritual gifts. It doesn't just apply to overseas missions. It doesn't just apply to church ministry. In our text this morning, it applies to sewing, ironwork, embroidering, woodworking, and in the act of simply giving of one's resources. For the Christian, knowing that God has gifted you with the abilities, talents, and skills, and wisdom, and most importantly, his Holy Spirit to bring him glory in all parts of life, is an extremely encouraging thing. By God's grace, it should infuse meaning and purpose to glorify God from sunup to sundown in every part of our lives. If Paul encourages us to use every opportunity to show the love of Christ to others in things as simple as eating or not eating, something that might offend another, that we read about in 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. How much more in all of life do we look to glorify God? Church, we can't miss this. As fathers, speaking to the fathers in this room, God has and will continue to equip you for the task at hand for God's glory. Some fathers need to hear that. As mothers, God will continue to equip you for the task at hand for God's glory. As husbands and wives, God's going to continue to equip you and sustain you for the task at hand for his glory. And on and on we can go as carpenters, working in the Air Force, as pastors, as students. Where God has called you, where you're at this morning, he will equip you to endure through for his glory. That's a comfortable thought. That should, again, if we, if we just examine our lives and examine what we are doing now, I hope and pray that it infuses that meaning like, I'm going to be an awesome husband for God's glory right after service. Not even right after service, right now. I'm going to be an excellent carpenter on Monday morning for God's glory, recognizing that these gifts I have have been given to me by God, these skills, these talents I have, 
He's equipped me for these things so that I can bring him glory in this workplace. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Just as God called and equipped Moses to lead the Hebrew nation out of Israel, and just how God equips the nation of Israel to fund and craft his holy tabernacle, God will equip us for that which he has called us to do for his glory. What great encouragement to know that God has called us here in this moment in time, equipped us by the working of his Holy Spirit to bring him glory in everything pertaining to life. Now in our story, we see how the people respond to these instructions by jumping ahead. Exodus 35. We're good to see their response. Starting in verse 21. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linens or goat's hair or tan ramskins or goatskins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linens. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and the breastpiece and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. Chapter 36, verses 4. So that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came each from the task that he was doing and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. Moses gave a command And word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Now we're reading the people of God come through. We're reading that the people of God listen to him, obey him, and give above and beyond What is asked? That's an encouraging thing. That's a wonderful thing. To see the response of God's people to how wonderful God is. Now we can say that the Israelite people did this out of strict obedience. But we read in the text that these people's hearts were moved to give. And we think about what moved them All we have to do is trace back in the story of Exodus to see God's hand time and time again miraculously free them from Egypt, miraculously provide them food, 
miraculously give them all the gifts and resources they have. And despite them turning and running astray several times we've read, God still graciously loves them and commits himself to them. So what is our takeaway from a text like this? It's just to pat the Israelites on the back. I don't think so. I think we can take away by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hopefully we can continually reorient our minds around the truth that all things belong to God. Which by God's grace will enable us to be able to use the resources that God has given us and the abilities that God has given us for his glory. I think there's no end to the opportunities that apply to this today. I think we also can be encouraged by the truth that God's calling most certainly comes with God's equipping. Therefore, we can be confident in our calling as fathers, mothers, brothers and sisters, students, employees, husbands and wives, carpenters, computer design, graphicers. That's not even, holy whip. (laughs) Oh, Lord. We can be confident as Christians. We can be confident as church members. And the list can go on and on. But let me share one final thought as we conclude this morning. And I hope, out of all things that were said, this is what we leave here, just leading us into worshiping Jesus as we take communion this morning. This passage of Scripture is primarily meant to draw our attention towards the glorious reality that God desires to dwell with his people. So we can look at these side things and say, yes, there is some biblical wisdom and truth in this. Absolutely. We can form our theology and grow more in the image of Christ as we look at these things. But at the end of the day, this tabernacle that's being built is just a temporary bridge to an enormous chasm that all men need to cross. All mankind is in need to cross over, to reconvene, and to restore relationship with God. Because the chasm that was created was created by sin. Isaiah 59.2 tells us, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. This tabernacle was a temporary solution for a holy and pure God to commune with his fallen and sinful creation. How amazing that God would condescend to our level to claim us as his people. This is truly an amazing story of love and commitment and sacrifice. But as beautiful as the structure appears in our story, and as well as its function is, as far as it temporarily serving as God's dwelling place where we can interact with God, The finest materials, the linens, the oils, the fragrant incense, they all pale in comparison to the offering that was to come in order to establish the place in which God can permanently dwell with his people. That he can permanently dwell with us. You see, this imperfect and temporary dwelling place that we are considering this morning was that. It was temporary. It was imperfect. 
And this temporary arrangement points us to the most precious contribution and the most sacred temple that was to come. Listen, God in continuity with his love, his commitment, his provision, and his mercy provided a true contribution in whom was the substance that built the perfect and eternal meeting place for God and his people. Let me repeat that. God, in continuity with his love, commitment, provision, and mercy, provided a true contribution in whom was the substance that built the perfect and eternal meeting place for God and his people. In other words, God provided his precious son, Jesus. While we failed to meet God's standards, Jesus fulfilled them perfectly. While we brought janky and imperfect contributions that would never appease God's well-deserved wrath, Jesus gave his perfect life and absorbed the wrath meant for us in order that we might have relationship with God in order to build a permanent meeting place for God and man. Jesus became our tabernacle. The place in which God can be with us. And by grace through faith in Jesus, we now enjoy God's presence forever. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love your word because it tells us about who you are. It's communicated the gospel to us. It's through the gospel, the message of salvation, we have been saved by your grace. And we're so thankful for that, Lord. God, I can't help but look at a text like this and, and think about the things or the ways in which I ought to live, we ought to live. Of course we fall short when it comes to managing the things that you've given us. Of course our finite minds can be so fickle to believe that we, we deserve things. We've earned it, therefore it's ours at times. We can, be, we can lack trust and faith, God, when it comes to the giving of our finances, stressing out about bills and things, which obviously we want to do our best to be committed, faithful, and responsible people. But God, help us to recognize even more so in every little detail of our life that what we have has been given by you. So Lord, empower us by your spirit to use it for you. God, that even the very breath in our lungs this morning is a gift from you. God, I'm also so thankful, God, that when you call us to something, you equip us. God, what a huge comfort. Because some of us here are called to some really hard things. Because some of us are, are struggling in a marriage. Some of us are in financial trouble. Because some of us have, are in, in tough workplaces or funky family dynamic, whatever it might be, God. God, if you've called us to represent you in those spaces, God, you've equipped us to do so. And you've done it through your Holy Spirit, and you do it through your word. God, help us to be encouraged 
that because we have your spirit residing in us, we are qualified and capable of handling these things because of you. God, I'm also again encouraged of the reality that although we're talking about a temporary space, God, in ancient history, God, that we have a permanent space in Christ. That because of what Christ has done, God, we are now communicating to you in the name of Jesus. God, that we are your sons and daughters. That we have fellowship. God, that we are partaking in Christ's inheritance. God, that you've given us spiritual gifts to help witness your glories to the world and to edify each other and to encourage each other. God, thank you for your church. We ask, God, that you would be glorified through the remainder of our service, through the partaking of communion, through the fellowship at lunch. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.